start with a story. Do, do, do any of you know who Joshua Bell is? Okay, so he, he's like this big-time, world-renowned violin player person. And, I mean, he's, he's a big deal. So uh, somebody had this great idea. What, what would happen if we took Joshua Bell and his Stradivarius violin and we put them in the New York subway station? What would happen? So they did a little experiment. They put him in there and had him play for 45 minutes. And uh, this was taken with a phone, so it's kind of blurry. But you can see he's right there by the entrance. He's playing for 45 minutes uh, on his Stradivarius in the New York subway station. And he's playing music written from the Baroque period. One of them is, is a chaconne, which is a style. And, uh, <clears throat> and he calls it, he said the music was emotionally powerful, spiritually powerfully powerful, and structurally perfect. And so he performs so how do you think people responded to that? So in, the, in that time, 45 minutes, roughly 11,000 people passed by, give or, a few, give or take a few. Uh, seven stop and listen. 27 of them put $32 in his violin case. Isn't that interesting? So they wrote an article about this and, and published it, you know, about you know, how people just walked by him and didn't know who he was or recognize him. I mean... And, and the guy, one of the curators at the Met, uh, the New York Museum of Art, one of the curators said, well, of course. And his comment was, greatness out of context is easily missed. So it turns out a number of years back what the Met did was they, they, they took an you know, expensive piece of art. Of course, they did this carefully, but they took an expensive piece of art, uh, a multi-million dollar piece of art. They put it in a cheap frame or a cheap, cheaper frame. Uh, took it to one of those restaurants, you know, where people buy art, you know, where they have new artists up there so people can kind of break into the, into the show and, and get known. They took it in there and put a $150 price tag on it, and they couldn't sell it. Because greatness out of context is easily missed. And that, that's the problem Jesus has, which is when Jesus and the kingdom break into this world, Greatness out of context is so easily missed. Let's pray. Almighty God, come and be present with us in the power and the presence of your spirit and open our minds and our hearts to what you want to say to us this morning. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So listen to this story. Is that a John? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. Now, I want you to notice, I, I, I'm wondering how many of you kind of recoil a little bit from that language. Uh, the language he uses here is part of the reason that uh, in the early history of the church, uh, uh, on a number of occasions, they were accused of being cannibalistic. 
uh, and were uh, treated that way. So uh, those of us who know a little more of the history of the faith, as you come down and he, he makes that shift into talking about bread and the living bread, and then he talks about the manna, we realize that he's not literally asking people to eat his flesh and drink his blood, but he's talking about the living bread, the, the living water. And when he talks about you know your ancestors at manna, the, this bread that God sent in the middle of the desert, they, they still died. Sorry, you know, they still died. Uh, but, but whoever feeds on this bread, he's talking about whoever is in relationship with him will live forever. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. Can you imagine that? Disciples grumbling about something Jesus said. He said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Which is a great little sentence, kind of uh, explanation of, of prevenient grace, but that's another sermon. Um, and from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. When the kingdom breaks in, it is so easily missed. It is so easily misunderstood. It is so easily offensive. It's so easily offensive. And, and time and time again, I've had people tell me about amazing events that happened in their life, but they don't want to share that with anybody because they're afraid of what people will do. Because the world is offended when the kingdom breaks in. God doesn't play by our rules. And so often when, when God breaks in and does amazing things in the midst of the world, instead of hearing that, people are offended. At the opening of the first service this morning, Don, I'm just going to touch on that. Don offered a word of thanks to the prayer team here because uh, their son's been working on buying a house in Houston. I was running into a number of roadblocks with that. And, uh, and, and I, I read in your comments his anxiety was kind of getting high. And since some of us have been through that with our, and ourselves lately, we kind of know that feeling, don't we, Don? And, uh, and uh, so he asked the prayer team to pray for him, and, and they did. And the next day, all the pieces fell into place. And so Don was offering a word of thanksgiving to the prayer team and to God for having opened those doors for his son. And the amazing thing is, if you tell those stories, sometimes people are offended by those. You know, when the kingdom breaks in the world, people sometimes take offense at that. It's difficult for them. They don't know what to do with it. They're not sure how to handle that. And yet that was the power of the early church, which it came in and it proclaimed these amazing things. It did these great works. Not only Jesus, but the early church itself did these great works and then coupled that with, with the proclamation, and that was the power of it. Yet greatness out of context is easily missed. And, and even his disciples here, as he's telling them this promise of life, that if, they, if they'll come and just be in this relationship, if they'll connect with him, if they will feed on him spiritually, that they will have life that lasts forever. And they're struggling with that. And some of them refuse to believe. Some of them turn away and leave. And he comes to Simon Peter, and he comes to them and says, well, what about you guys? Are y'all going to leave me too? And Simon Peter's answer is, Lord, where, where are we going to go? 
I mean, you have the words. You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? I mean, where are we going to turn to? I mean, where else are you going to go? I mean, they've been with him for these three years. They've seen him do miracles. They've seen him do healings. They've seen him cast out demons. They've seen him raise people from the dead. They've seen these amazing things. And where else are you going to go? You know, we have a phrase we use. He says, you know, you can't unsee this. Now, we usually use it in a negative way, right? You know, when you see something that you really don't want to see, you know, and, and you go, oh, I just can't, I just can't unsee it. You know, I mean, you, you want to, but you can't. But, but in this case, you know, they, they'd seen Jesus do some amazing things. And, and if you've seen the kingdom break in, in any way, you really can't just unsee it. Early in my ministry, I encountered a, one of those things that's still with me. This is you know, 39 years ago now that uh, we had a member of our, I was working at First Church downtown. We had a member of the church that had a major, major, major stroke and they took him to Seton Hospital. And so on, on my way from the church back to my home on the north side that night, I went by the hospital to check on him. They had him in ICU. The doctors were all there preparing the family for his imminent death. They said, you know, he, there's just nothing we can do for him. You know, he's probably only going to last a few more hours, those kinds of things. And so uh, I went in. We prayed together and all that. And I, I, thinking that he probably would not make it through the night, I gave them my card, and I wrote my, business, my home phone number on it so they could call me when this man died during the night and left it with them. And then I went home, and uh, that night I laid in bed and kind of tossed and turned all night long because I kept expecting the phone to ring, uh, and it never did. So when I got up the next morning, my first thought was, well, he probably died and they just didn't want to call me and, and disturb me in the middle of the night. So I thought, well, on my way down, I'm just going to stop through and check. So I stopped at Seton on my way in. This was before the traffic in Austin was so horrible, by the way. Uh, I stopped at Seton on my way in and uh, went to the ICU unit and walked into the room where he was, and he was sitting up in a chair eating breakfast. No after effects, no problems, everything all completely back to normal. And his doctors had absolutely no explanation for it. You can't unsee this. It's 39 years later. I can still see him sitting there eating his breakfast. You can't unsee this. When God breaks into our lives and does things, whether they're minor or whether they're major, you can't unsee this. And if you've seen the kingdom break in, then, then what else are you going to do besides follow? What else are you going to do? Because who else has the words of life? You follow. So his disciples could not unsee that either. I mean, they'd seen him do these amazing things. And then he called them to follow. He called the 12, gave them power and authority to drive out all demons, to cure diseases, sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And, and when those 12 came back and told them about all the things that had happened, they brought a bunch of people with them. And so then in the next chapter, he sends out that bunch, that's 72 sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
Go, and he sent them out to do healing and to cast out demons and to proclaim the kingdom. And then Luke remembers in the resurrection appearance of Christ when he's with his disciples, that he instructs them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This power that comes not of our own, but it's, it's God's power imparted through the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be witnesses from, from where you live to your backyard, to your neighbor's homes, to the area around you, to the larger community, and to the world. Notice he doesn't say, this is just for you. He says, you're going to be my witnesses to the world when the power of the Spirit rests upon you. We're, we're, we're sent out. We're sent out to do that. Because you can't unsee this. And this is where Jesus goes. And this is what Jesus calls us to do. In the uh, biological community, there's a phrase called imprinting. Some of you may be familiar that uh, when an animal is born, the first animal it sees and, and comes into relationships, it assumes is its parent. And so it'll, it'll try to be like that and think it's that. You've seen some extra, uh, examples like a, a, a kitten that is raised by a dog, and so it grows up thinking it's a cat, I mean a dog, and it behaves like a dog. Or a dog that's raised by a cat and thinks it's a cat, right? You've seen some of those kinds of things. They're, they're interesting kind of experiments that people do. One of the more interesting ones is a gentleman by the name of Joe Hutto. You all, anybody know Joe Hutto who is? Uh, Joe Hutto raises turkeys, and he makes it a point that when the turkeys hatch, that he's the first thing they see. So all of these turkeys, Joe Hutto has imprinted on them. They all think that Joe Hutto is their daddy and that they're his children. And they follow him wherever he goes and try to do whatever he does. Now, I think that could be really interesting. You know, you're walking into a restaurant. You know, you've got a flock of turkeys following you. They're going, what, what is that? Well, well, these are my service turkeys. You know, they, they can come in. It's okay. Right? I mean, what do you tell people? You go in a movie and turkeys are all around making, I mean, but aside from the really strange part, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me that the, these turkeys have, Joe has imprinted himself on them. They look at him, they think of him as daddy, and, and, and they're the children, and they're going to follow Joe wherever he goes. What's fascinating to me is that, you know, turkeys, turkeys can get this right, and we can't. I mean, you know, really, if a turkey can figure out that they need to follow Joe Hutto, why is it that the church can't figure out that we're supposed to follow Jesus? But that is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to have Jesus imprinted on us. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to follow the follow. When you read in Scripture, there's some fancy words that you use sometimes. Uh, in, in Greek, the words apostle. In Latin, it's missionary. But in English, it, it means the sent one, literally. That's what it means, to be sent. Not, not to come, but to go. And, and that's who Jesus' disciples are called to be. When, when we experience a spiritual rebirth, the Holy Spirit imprints Jesus in us. When we have one of those experiences where we encounter the kingdom of God, whether it's just ordinary kind of stuff or whether it's something amazing, the Holy Spirit imprints Jesus in us. And we know this is who we are to follow. Empowered by the Spirit, this is who we are to follow. 
I want to be clear <clears throat> in conversations with my colleagues. Sometimes some of them have these amazing kinds of stories about things that have happened in their life. I mean, you know, incredible kinds of stories about things that have happened in their life. And some of, of, of the rest of us, you know, we have more ordinary kind of stories where, you know, we, we experience God's power and grace and love, you know, in more ordinary kinds of ways. And that, that's, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Because however it happens in your life is how it happens in your life. But once God has broken in and you've experienced the presence of God, that imprints and the Spirit empowers us to follow. This is who we are called to be as apostles, as disciples. And the steps to that are really simple. Learn your own story. Learn your own story. You know, you can always argue with people about theology. Trust me, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Got the diploma on my wall. Uh, I mean, you can do that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you can always do that. But, but it's hard, you know, if, it's, if this is your story, it's hard for people to say, man, no, no, no. It's your story. Learn your story. Whatever it is, learn your story. Be able to tell your story. That's the first step. The second is deal with your own brokenness first. Deal with your own brokenness first. I love one of the things Carolyn Moore said in the Awakening series at the beginning of the year. When we begin to think that our spiritual unrest or discontent is due to something someone else is doing, that is an unholy discontent. Then we understand that it's due to something in us, that's holy discontent. And too often it's really easy for us to, to look at the people around us and blame them for why we don't feel like our spiritual life is where it should be and why we're not living the, in, into all the that we think we should be living to in our faith, and we can blame them for all of that. And, and there's a lot of that in our society, and it's, it's what's known as dysfunction or codependency. But healthy spirituality deals with our own brokenness first. It deals with that first and deals with that honestly. Learn your story, deal with your brokenness, and then go. Go. Follow Jesus. If a turkey can do it, we can do it, right? Follow Jesus where he goes. And hear his call. Sends them out. He sends them out. Drive out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God, and heal the sick. I have a colleague that grew up in Liberia. And when he was young, he felt a call in his life to go into ministry. But his parents said to him, you know, in Liberia, ministers are always going to be poor. You're never going to have any money. So, you know, if you follow this calling, you're, you're basically resigning yourself to a life of poverty. Uh, and you're not going to have money. You're not going to have money for a family. You're not going to be able to support anyone. And, and so they encouraged him not to pursue that calling, but rather to go to engineering school so that he could uh, make enough money to support himself and do the things that the world thinks are good things to do. And, uh, and he listened to them uh, and decided that that's what he would do. And then the Civil War began in Liberia. And as he was getting ready to uh, go to school, the Civil War was heating up and things were becoming uh, dangerous and violent. And one evening as he was returning home from visiting a friend, he was stopped by a group of soldiers. And they accused him of being one of the revolutionaries. So they took him aside off the street, uh, out of sight of everybody, and surrounded him. And, and he thought, this is it. They're going to shoot me. 
And they begin to interrogate him about where he had been and what he had done. They made him undress all the way down to his underwear, searched all through his clothes, everything, continued to interrogate him for several hours. And as he stood there in his underwear while these soldiers were going through his things and, and asking him questions, he was praying, you know, Lord, please, you know, Lord, I'm, if, if, if it's in your mercy, please save me. And he said, all of a sudden, after this had been going on for several hours, and he'd been praying for several hours, one of the soldiers looked at him and said, run. And his first thought was, if I run, they're going to think I'm running away, and they're going to use that as an excuse to shoot me. And then his second thought was, I've been praying, and this man all of a sudden has told me to run. And so he turned and he ran kind of wondering if at any moment he would, you know, be shot down from behind. But he wasn't. And he escaped. And he went home. And he prayed a prayer of thanksgiving and said, okay, you win. I will go into the ministry you call me to. So he pursued his degree. He pursued his master's degree. He pursued his doctorate degree. And Dr. Jerry Kula is now the president of the Methodist Seminary in uh, Liberia. And he's one of the powerful voices in Africa. If you ever have a chance to hear him preach, it's well worth it. But he tells that story. And he lives without fear. Because he knows that God has saved him. Very literally, God has saved him. And that's given him courage to go and to proclaim the gospel into all kinds of places. Sometimes what God does in our lives is extraordinary. Sometimes it's ordinary. But the call comes to all of us nonetheless, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. Now, now I want you to notice, he doesn't say, but the harvest you know, is plentiful, but the workers are few. So y'all wait around a while. No, just sit there. Uh, just stay there. Oh, pay someone else to do it for you. Train someone else to go out for you. He doesn't say any of that, does he? What does he say? Go. He says, go. That's the call. That's the call. That comes to each and every one of us. Because otherwise, in the context of this world, the entrance of the kingdom is easily missed. So let me ask you some questions. Have you experienced God's call on your life? You know, where, where's, how's God tugging on your heart? You know, where's God calling you to, to be out there and, and go and, and offer up the kingdom? Have you considered that your story might actually open the door for someone else? to recognize the kingdom of God. What would it look for you, look like for you to follow Jesus out into the brokenness of the world? And will you go? After all, if the turkeys can follow Joe Hutto, surely we can follow Jesus, right? Let's pray. 
Almighty Father, we come and we ask you to come and, and commission us to go out into the world. We have seen your glory. We've experienced your power and your love in our lives. So help us to be those who, who set the context, who help people's eyes to be able to see when your kingdom is breaking into this world. Don't allow us to be comfortable with sitting and staying and waiting and getting someone else to do it. But give us the courage to follow you. Let, let your face be imprinted upon us so that we rise up and go. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.